0: Greetings urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here and welcome to the 759th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome everybody. Greg Peterson here from Urban Farm U. I'm here with Bill McDormand. Hello, Bill. Good evening, Greg. How are you? oh man i'm doing great and i look forward to these evenings with you i get to chat and learn all right here's what we're doing tonight and then we're gonna go seed classes seed libraries seed companies seed books and teaching tools we'll talk about and link our favorite resources yes i said link our favorite resources Whether you are starting a community seed library, launching a seed business, or looking for that fabulous book you can cuddle up with to find inspiration and context for your seed saving journey. That is what we are chatting about tonight. So I'm just going to turn it over to you because you and Bell did a super bang up job on a resource.
1: What I want to do is give a little bit of an introduction. It's sort of my own hack. For finding new information so when i go into looking for resources it can be overwhelmed it is overwhelmed look at the world we live in at our fingertips in our phones in our pockets at any one time or just infinite yeah you know, resources that you could search for so how do you find your way through all of that to get to what you
0: really want so i just want to give you a couple of t- tips this could be used it sounds like for anything you're wanting to research maybe yeah anything really so what first of all what are you looking for
1: be real clear in what you're looking for it's so easy to get lost out there you'll get sidetracked you'll get there's all sorts of other information so just first of all I always try to be really clear about what I'm looking for and one of the things I've learned over 40 years especially about seeds And gardening information to grow those seeds well. Includes soil and all and permaculture and all the other things that that are the corollary subjects around seeds. Maybe the most important thing I've learned is to look local first.
0: Look Mm -hmm. local
1: first. Okay? You can get caught in an encyclopedia of information about, especially about gardening and about seeds that you could save or use or whatever. And it's going to be different where you are anyway. Yeah. So if somebody's doing exactly what you're trying to do and they live down the block, that's the most valuable information you can find. And so often we discount that, right? They don't have a PhD. They're not the speaker at this year's gardening conference. They're just a little old lady that's lived down the street for 35 years that's been growing tomatoes, right? She may know more about what you need to know to do what you want to do than anybody else. And so that's my number one hit. And think about it. How many great national gardening magazines before they went digital? And they're all got into financial trouble for the last three or four decades. Gardening magazines have been in trouble, organic gardening or whatever. And the reason is there's only so many subjects that are really important to gardeners that apply to all gardeners that have a big enough audience. After you subscribe for a year or two, you're done.
0: You know what? I was listening to a live chat radio show the other day, and it was a national radio show. I won't say who it was, but you're right. A lot of the data that they were delivering was curious, but it was irrelevant to me where I'm at. Exactly. And we all live in a fringe climate and it's changing. And so
1: it's all the only real good, the best information has always been as local as you can get it. So don't underestimate your local resources, local landscapers that have been around for 20, 30, 40 years working right. for people. Yeah, Those guys are invaluable. And we can you can put in questions if you've got specifics about the specific regions you were in in the Mountain West. I've been all over. I know a lot of people. Whatever we can do to help you tonight.
0: Yeah. Put your questions in the Q&A for the live event. And for those of you that are listening to this after the fact on our podcast, join us the second Tuesday of the month every month when Bill and I get together and chat about seeds. You can right. sign up. You can sign up at seedchat.org for notices about these great so the second tip I want to give you
1: is something that came out especially when I was at the Rocky Mountain Seed we got into grains we are modern creatures we have been educated in facts and data and organizing it well in memorizing it and being specific about it getting our PhD as the goal you mm-hmm. go to college and you work all most PhD programs are so narrow in the information channel that they're in is that it has little relevance to the big world around us. But I think as modern creatures, we are fascinated by that and we tend toward that. So when you're looking for resources, you're going to see what I call the encyclopedias out there. You're going to find resources that send you to get more data, more, more different kinds of seeds. Teach me more about all the different soil structures, all the science of that. And so many of the programs that I see encourage us to go down a rabbit hole and learn one or more or all of those subjects. And it drives mm-hmm. us crazy. You can go crazy going, oh, my God, I'm never going to learn enough to be able to do this. How can I ever be an expert? And on. And I guess my tip is to abandon that for a minute. Yeah. And again, think about what you really need and stay focused on that. And realize that maybe humanity itself has a bit of that disease to the point where we have all this data now at our fingertips. We can deliver it to anybody worldwide in these information systems. And guess what, people? It's over 110 for the day 19 in Phoenix today. And we don't know how to stop that. The yes. real problems aren't being solved. Billion yeah. people are hungry. So maybe what we have to do is come back out of all that data and looking for all those resources and start figuring out what works for us personally and with our neighbors and in our communities and ground our searches for resources around that so that we can really make a change that's meaningful to us. We can have our own food
0: systems, for example. So that's my tip number two, all right? So tip number one was get very specific about what you're looking for and do it local first. Look
1: local first. Number two is don't get caught up in all that. I'll just give you one example. When I got into medicinal herbs, I started looking for books about medicinal herbs. And there are encyclopedias, Graves Herbal. It'll give you like, oh my God, it's got the medicines from 140 different plants. Graves had gone and through an encyclopedic way, all of the herbals, that had been written in Europe up to his day. And he put all the best of that in a big compendium. And there you go. So now I'm trying to memorize the names and learn the medicines for 140 herbs. Got into Chinese herbs for a while. And there's like, how many of those? And I'm going, so what's my goal? My goal is to be an herbalist. So I've got to be the encyclopedia. I've got to memorize and go into all of these programs. Then I read a book called Early People's Early Plants about the medicine people in Montana and the plants they used. And one of the things that came out of reading that book was that almost every single plant talked about in this book, talked about by the medicine people in each of the tribes that this author could find in Montana. Heart was the author's name, early people's early plants. Almost every plant was used for scratchy throats and lung problems and coughs. And you go through and you can use almost any plant for that. And it makes it feel better. And then I flipped it in my head and I realized what was going on. We're talking damp, winter, northern Montana, where you can go 100 days without seeing the the sun. Sitting around probably fires where there's heat and all of the smoke. And everybody had a scratchy throat and tried every plant and they all worked on some way. And so... What I took from that, and I'll cut this short, is that figure out what plants you need. Yeah. If you're going to be an herbalist day to day, week after week, month after month, what do you need to keep yourself healthy? And learn those plants and then find out where you can find them locally. Okay. And it just, and then you can become a great herbalist. It has nothing to do with what Graves did in Europe 200 years ago.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So, In business, there's this concept of get niche get focused. And that's really what you're talking about. Get really focused on one thing and get good at it.
1: Now, so is that a new thing, this niche business idea? I don't know. Because when I had small seed company, high-altitude gardens, every person who wanted to invest in my company or to lend me money said the same thing, get big get more universal so you can sell seeds to more people. And I go, no, I want to be high altitude. And I realize now I was just 30 years ahead of my time because those (laughs) are are invaluable for the people that live up high. So that's that. So maybe in some ways we're saying the same thing. So we put together a bunch of resources, seed classes and online education sources. I should preface that section by saying it is growing exponentially.
0: Yeah, there are I've universities
1: teaching basic seed-saving classes. When we started our seed school, we were the only people that we could find doing that. Right. We wanted to go to the other courses and learn how to do it.
0: Yeah. And
1: now it's everywhere. So these are just some of the standouts that I know about personally and Bell that have touched our lives. Same thing with the seed companies. Some of the classes that you'll see on there, the programs were actually people that came through our program or helped us with our program Mm -hmm. That's on there. And probably the best thing, if you just want to spend the shortest amount of time and get the most out of it in the most eloquent way, I'll, I'll say, I still think Seed School Online, yeah. You and I did, Greg, for urbanfarm.org. I can't yep. do that anymore. That was a moment in time where we coalesced everything. And it's still there and people can still take that. And so for me, I just looked at a university course. University was in New Mexico or Minnesota or somewhere. And I looked at how they broke out the information or whatever. It's the same syllabus. This whole thing has got of There's a real logic behind yeah. it. I got some of it from John Navasio. There's a story there, but there is a right way to present the information to get it through in a short yeah. period of time. And you're starting to see that everywhere. So I just wanted to say that. C companies, same thing. These are the most innovative in that they're promoting diversity in the purest way. And by that, they're not focus particularly on making a profit. They're small family operations or they're crazy people like I was that just believe in this, that are sources of small amounts of unbelievably diverse seeds, if you happen to go through. Who, is, who is High
0: Desert Seed?
1: High Desert Seed, Laura, if you ever listen to this, Laura, hi, I miss you. She lives in Colorado and was actually on a road to starting a seed company anyway, but I went to mancus i think it was colorado and gave a talk one time and she got really inspired there too Nice. and throughout the years have helped or whatever but it's that perfect paradigm i live in a place that needs seeds that no one else is supplying because our weather where we are is different than everywhere let's just get to work start growing everything we can saving the seeds from those that are best and make them available to the people around me and she's got years into it now and is doing a really great job one other note on there, if you haven't, if you want to blow your mind, Sandhill Preservation. is. I've heard a,
0: that before.
1: Right. Glenn Drowns actually grew up in Idaho, Greg. And I used to talk to him on the phone before I left Idaho. And he grew up in a little town called or Idaho, which if you've ever been through, you know. Is, anyway, he ended up, he was just one of those kids that was fascinated with saving seeds and got into pumpkins and squash. And we used to talk about the kinds that he did. And he did an Idaho gem pumpkin that was really, really great that grew in his really short season. He would share his stuff on Seed Savers Exchange. And he was sharing so many things. They invited him to come back to Decorah, Iowa. And he ended up head of growing all the cucuberts for Seed Savers Exchange. I think he still holds a record that he grew like 80, I'm grasping at numbers here, but more than 80 different squashes in the same garden the same year by doing hand pollinations really seed for seed saver so he's legendary there and he outgrew their program in a sense or what his needs were so he bought a farm not too far away he calls it sand hill because it was just sand when he started and mm. he started doing the same thing find the seeds at work and keep them alive and share them with people and that's what sand hill does the blow mine part of that is that Greg he stewards 1400 different varieties by himself oh my god I said so I interviewed him I said Glenn or and he'd be a great interview for your podcast yeah but I go Glenn you started Sand Hill Preservation right as a nonprofit, so you get money to help you and he goes oh no he goes I'm a school teacher I teach science at the local high school and I've paid for everything here myself I do get a couple of high school interns every summer to help me do the grunt work out here but 1400 varieties by himself he's sorting. and
0: so that means he has to grow them out every couple of years it is phenomenal what wow. the
1: diversity that he has in fact seed savers and i think i put in the thing contacted him a few years ago and they traced back 685 varieties that would be extinct
0: oh my gosh
1: so talk about if you want to be a hero to the world right now yeah, Glenn is your hero. I just can't believe the guy. I mean, I, Bell and I were directors at Native Seed Search. We stewarded two thousand varieties there. Yeah,
0: like
1: fifty tribes in the Southwest. One point two million dollar budget and thirteen employees. Wow! And Glenn does it by himself on a high school yeah. teacher salary. So anyway,
0: is that Sand Hill isn't on this list, is it? It is. Is it okay? It's under seed companies. He's got a list and you can buy seeds from him and it helps support his program. I don't want to skip past Southern Exposure. Oh, yeah. Talk about her. She is amazing. She's been on my podcast. Ira, Ira, yeah. yeah. So they are basically a workers
1: cooperative. They're a community living situation. And the seed company is just part of what they do. And but she's been such a great steward of that. Southern Exposure was started by Jeff McCormick uh, way back in the day. Really when Mark Johnson was starting Johnny's and Forrest Shomer was starting abundant life up in Washington. And the idea of regional seed hubs was starting to come about. Jeff McCormick started Southern Exposure and actually, as a took all that he had and basically gave it to this intentional community and they're the ones that have stewarded that ever since and i've nice. just been become one of the magic seed yeah. stewards of the era so yeah if you get a chance to listen, listen to her cool and again variety i have uh, walking onions in my yard uh-huh. that i got from them and they're probably the best source for those these are egyptian walking onions by that the kinds that have a bulb on top yeah so at the end when If you leave them long enough, the stems will start to degrade and they'll fall over and plant the bulb. And so they grow in concentric circles. If you just leave them alone in a field, this is permaculture, Greg. I don't have to plant my onions anymore.
0: Wow. Okay. So I just looked up Ira Wallace on the podcast. She was in episode number 46 on the Urban Great. Farm podcast. Great. And that was in back in 2016 so
1: as i get into books i'm been out of the stream of the latest and greatest and newest books lately but for the 28 years i was part of high altitude gardens every year this was back before the internet became dominant but the nation's book publishers would all send me books every year Mm. wanted me and I would carry them in my catalog so I literally hundreds of books came across my desk and I would give them all some do you know to see what was going on and the ones that you see up here some of those are the ones that made it through that process from years and years some of the best books ever Mm. John Jevitz is on there and you did podcasts with him also his oh yeah if you just how do I learn how to garden Bill get that book it's just that simple Bill, yeah. I live up in Maine in the northern part of the country. How do I grow food up there? Elliot Coleman, Four Season Harvest.
0: Yep, he's, he's been on the organic, podcast too. And a grower. Those are
1: just tomes for that sort of stuff. How do I learn really how to become a seed breeder in my own backyard? Is that possible? Carol, Carol Depe. Depe. Yep. How to breed your own backyard garden vegetables, right? Yeah. And then she's got several other books on The Resilient Gardener. And so that, way, that came out of people asking her, oh, my God, Carol, the world's going to fall apart. And I'm learning how to save seeds. What should I save? So she went through an inventory of all of her stuff and came up with The Resilient Gardening. And then she's getting spiritual, as all gar- good gardeners do. They mm-hmm. get period for a while. The Tao of Vegetable Gardening is one of her other books. So, Cool. There's things in there, seed time by Scott Chaskey, which is a personal story about how he grew up on a small farm and then came to farm and then came, came around to why seeds are the most important part of that. And he's a poet and a man of letters. Great okay. And he writes eloquently. And so if you want to spend time in your favorite chair with the light on, a lamp on and reading in those times when you're not gardening, don't read seed catalogs. We all do, but get yourself into the seed time by reading Scott Chaskey. That's
0: a really great place to go. Ancient and heritage grain resources.
1: Yeah, that's most of my resource focus lately has gone into that because it's a real simple thing. We need the cake, as Evan said. We've got a really great organic gardening movement, and now we've got 600 seed libraries and seed exchanges around the country, and people are starting to get their own seeds long ways to catch up to yeah. do that i think we still need thousands and more seed teachers but that's another subject yeah but if we're going to actually become more self-reliant in our own food then 70 to 80 percent of that are grains and so how do we grow our own grains how do we descale how do we break that down find the ones that work for us in our particular areas and get that to work and relearn that craft of growing and Harvesting and cleaning and milling and preparing grains. That's one could argue the most important craft there is on the planet, yeah. all the way back to the beginnings of civilization. And it's becoming that way again to people all over the world. Got a big boost yesterday when Russia pulled out of the grain deal. And so all of the grain from Ukraine, which is one of the great resources in the world, is not going to be flowing to the rest of the world and as of yesterday again. This is the world we live in now. There are political reasons. Yeah. Well, there's always been political reasons for big grain, but learning that craft yourself is indelible. And c- civilizations have gone through the ebb and tide of that, where it's small people doing it on small scales, and then they're exploited, and it's scaled up, and it builds big empires, and those start to crumble, or they start to war against each other like Ukraine and Russia, it goes back to the small people again. And I really think we're in one of those periods and that's why these grain resources are there. So if you want to get stoked about what's going on in the United States about it and all the different iterations, the new breadbasket, Amy Halloran is a really great book. She did a lot of research around that and she is a great resource. She's a grainiac. She's got grainiac t-shirts.
0: Oh, nice. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. If you want to start your own journey and just, if you go, whoa, Bill, there are 400,000 varieties of wheat, maybe, that's the estimate. How can I find two or three that'll work best for me where I am? All the varieties being grown even near you are industrial varieties that are being grown for white bread that have nothing to do with the nutrition or the gluten levels that are probably healthy and sustainable for you.
0: Yeah, I want to actually interject here. Les just said something that kind of pertains here that I want you to tease apart a little bit. He says, nuts and seeds are part of my diet, not grains. Not sure this is a question, but my eczema and other issues disappeared when I made the change. Great. And it's likely that the issue was from the industrial grains, right?
1: Yes. That's what we're finding. There's no smoking gun yet, but there may be a handful of things that have come with the industrialization and the centralization of grain that are causing problems like leaky gut, eczema, brain fog, or dementia. Mm -hmm. All of those that are now linking to the same problem. Mm -hmm. Your gut. And And once you heal that, all of those problems start to go away. And yes, nuts and seeds can be a part of that. The problem for us that live in the temperate regions, is we don't have a lot of nuts and seeds. Yeah, It's way easier to find them in more tropical or closer to the equator. There are sunflower seeds, and I've, you know, throughout the years, have, have done my share of those, but almonds are the most water-damaging crop being grown in Arizona, and if not in,
0: in California.
1: California right now, so that's not a sustainable so there's problems with all of it. But my suggestion to you, Les, is do research on your own. And what we found, I'll just tell you what we found. My wife gave up all grains for two years. She was on a no-food diet, I called it, because we couldn't eat anything. we go out to dinner. we go to people's houses. She couldn't eat anything because they all had flour or grains in them. But her gut healed, and we reintroduced ancient grains, einkorn
0: and mm. emmer.
1: And spelt mm-hmm. even. And we use sourdough processing, 24, 48 hours sourdough, the traditional way, instead of using modern yeast. So it gives it time for those that yeast to help break down what's in there. And those two things, and we went organic, get the roundup out of your grains.
0: Oh, and you yeah, do those things.
1: Huge. And what's happening is people are finding they can start to reintroduce grains into their diets again. And yeah. so I just want to introduce that idea to
0: you. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for that. All right. And then seed libraries and seed exchanges. You know, the big problem
1: when you start learning how to save your own seeds and you tap into that abundant system, the big problem is abundance, right? Saving seeds is an abundant process. It's exponentially expanding. And so you always end up with more seeds then you personally can use one tomato can give you enough seeds for the rest of your life if you yeah. for most small backyard home gardeners and so what do you do you share and that's where seed libraries and exchanges come in community seed systems and then all of a sudden you can start relaxing you don't have to save all your own seeds you can trade with your neighbors and that's what seed exchanges are about yeah. Or if you want a place that's more permanent, so anybody who comes into the community can share in what you have, and you can find things from everyone anytime you want, that's what a seed library is. And so I just picked out a couple. The Pima County Seed Library has, library. the library system has 22 branches.
0: Isn't that and I, cool?
1: And I, yeah, I think now what, they have seed libraries and 14 of those or something. 14 wow. seed libraries, all linked with interlibrary loans. You can order them online and have them delivered to your branch.
0: All nice. It shows you what we can do. Yeah. I, I love that they're using the old card catalogs for seeds.
1: <laughs> they were getting ready to
0: throw them away. They were all in the basement yeah. getting ready to be loaded up
1: and they brought them all back up. And a packet of seeds fits perfectly sideways. Right. It's about the same size as a card. So, yeah, with good timing. Right. And now, with fewer and fewer people going there for books, people are still coming to the library to get their seeds. It's become a tremendously important resource for libraries. Really is great. Richmond Gross Seeds, I put on there. Rebecca Newburn, bless her heart, got started helping yeah. her local library start one of the first libraries in a library, seed libraries, and put up a little webpage that said, How to start your own seed library. And we figure now hundreds of seed libraries have been started because of that link on the Richmond Grove. So I put that back on. That sort of morphed into the Seed Library Network, which is Rebecca's ongoing shepherding of all these new seed libraries and the questions they have. So if you go to seedlibraries.weebly.com, you'll tap into the richest network on the continent for being able to do that. And they've nice. got they've got a, their own e- email list group and they've got a newsletter and you can sign up for those so those are great resources
0: awesome and dj wants to know are they organic well they're organic if people raise them organically because yeah. a lot of times what happens is they get seeds and they check them out and the deal is you're supposed to be bring seeds back bill that's right for me it's pretty simple the overwhelming goal i've had
1: is diversity mm-hmm. if we don't have enough seeds and enough different kinds of seeds in our local regions then it's going to be tough to grow food what we want are tons of diversity and lots of adapted varieties so that's number one goal do we want them to be organic absolutely the problem is about 98 percent of the diversity is still not organic seeds right And so if you draw as your line, I'm not taking seeds unless they were grown organically, you're immediately cutting yourself off in your community. So almost all the seed libraries don't. They'll ask people to label the seeds organic if the ones they're turning in are organic, but they don't make that a condition for turning them in. So your job is to get whatever seeds you can and grow them out and organically and save them and take them back to the library and offer them organically if that's what really is your mission then that there's a role for you and for all of
0: us to keep doing that and there are people doing it more and more all right any final thoughts bill have fun
1: keep it simple and make it fun and again as i look back over the richest sources of information that have helped me most in my life around seeds and growing things, it's always been a person. Find the master. Find the person who is doing what you want to do, your hero or whatever, and go spend a day with them. And most of them will let you do that. If you're the best gift you can give, to somebody who's older, has been doing things for a long time, the so-called experts, the best gift you can give them is to be a willing student. Yeah. Somebody who's interested, who really is authentic about what they want to learn. And once you find one of those persons, you can learn more in one day than you can in decades. sitting right. around your own mistakes or looking on the internet for stuff. And I think we've lost that, you know, that art. A little bit, so that would be my number one resource. Find the people that you really want to be, and go go be them for a while. Be with them.
0: Look at my picture in back of me, Bill. See that blue house way in the background? Yeah, that's my across the street neighbor. I'm drawing a blanket her name, but she is 85 years old and has the most incredible garden that covers three quarters of an acre, growing hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of flowers. And whenever I see her across the street, I wave. And a couple of times I've walked over there and we just sit on her front porch and chat and she just shares how she does it. It's so amazing. She's been in that house for 45 years. Bless you. Yeah. Bless you.
1: That, those
0: are the resources we need. All right, Bill. Thank you. Have a good one, everybody.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and
0: resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In
1: the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.